vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching, proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about practice routines. beautiful teachers. Welcome to 2024. As you may have guessed, I'm recording this in advance, as I often do, so it's not currently 2024. As I'm recording this, so I'm feeling a bit weird about saying that number, and I'm sure I'll still be feeling a little bit weird by the time you listen to this episode. It's always upsetting a bit when we go to a new year. I mean, it's exciting, it's fun, but it's also a bit like, really? Another year is gone? No! Anyway, let's not feel like that. Let's celebrate the new year. I hope you had a wonderful new year and holiday season, whatever bits and pieces you were celebrating. Today's episode is about practice. What better way to kick off the new year? So we're starting a little series on the blog. Now, it's not going to come out all in a row. So don't worry, it's not taking over the other things we publish. But throughout the course of this year, basically, we're going to be publishing some articles which are directed at parents. So obviously if you're familiar with the Colourful Keys blog, if you listen to the podcast here, watch the YouTube channel, whatever, most of the things I do are actually for teachers, they're for you, they're not for parents. Although obviously I communicate with parents in my own studio. But I was feeling a lack of articles that I could direct parents towards and other teachers could direct parents towards. And I just thought we could fill in some of those holes because sometimes it's useful to have something published online or just really something external to you. So you're talking about practice routines and etc. But you have something that's from someone else talking about the same thing, but in a slightly different way that may just reinforce your point or help parents to see it more clearly. And so the first one of these articles that we're publishing is today. I wrote it myself and it's about how involved parents should be in their child's piano practice. So we would hope some involvement. Yes, that's our goal. And this is really just a simple article that talks them through suggestions of how involved they should be based on different ages and the kinds of ways they can be involved. Now, I'm careful with these articles to try and tread the line of both not wanting to be kind of overbearing in parenting advice. I'm not even a parent. So I'm always cautious of sounding too preachy or something like that. I try to give general tips from my experience as a teacher and what I've seen and what I've heard from various parents I work with. I also don't want it to be advice that is very specific to my studio. So I've tried to keep it generic yet helpful. If that makes sense, hopefully I've tread that line well. And what I want to do here on the podcast is just talk you through basically what I talked about in the article so you can gauge whether it might be something you want to send to your parents. And then I'll give you some more advice about creating that practice routine and how we help parents to do that in our studios, different ways that we can help out. So first of all, just an overview of the article. The first thing I like to explain with many parents is this difference between or the fight, I guess, sometimes between motivation and practice. What I mean by that is many parents think, okay, my child is going to take piano lessons. They're going to take piano lessons with this awesome, super fun teacher. And because the lessons are super fun and amazing, they're going to fall in love with the instrument and therefore practice. And we know 
for most children, I would say 95 to 99%, somewhere in that range, most children, that is not going to work. Most children are not going to fall in love with the instrument and then be self-motivated to practice because practicing at home requires a lot more than just liking your instrument. It requires you to organize your time. And remember, you're a child in this scenario, so that's difficult. And it requires you to put down your Nintendo Switch or your favorite distraction of choice. It requires you to then go to your instrument, set it up, possibly read teacher's notes, and then follow directions and stick with it, working through challenging things. It's just not realistic. So the truth is that it's the opposite way around, right? For most children, an adult helps them develop a practice routine, helps them to practice regularly. And through that process, they get this wonderful, awesome feeling that we all found, right? As musicians ourselves, which is, I put in work, it feels challenging, it feels hard, and then I progress. And that feels amazing. But we have to experience that over and over before we can do this, organize our time ourselves or be motivated enough that we can overcome the challenges of organizing our time. So with that in mind, I give some simple recommendations for different age groups. Now I've split this into ages eight and under, ages nine to 12, and then teenagers, because that's where I really see the key differences happening. Every single child is different. So these are generalizations, but I wanted to give some gauge based on age because it does vary, right? So around age seven or eight is a significant age in many different cultures. For example, in the Catholic Church, just give a local example, an Irish example, age seven or eight is when you make your first communion or first holy communion, people will call, will call it. And that's a big significant milestone. And it's not just arbitrary. It's that age for a reason. And you'll find it cropping up in many different religions, different ceremonies in different cultures that something happens around age seven or eight. And it's what's sometimes called the age of reason. So for many children, this is a key difference in their development. I don't go into all this detail, by the way, in the article, I'm just sharing it with you. But I mentioned it briefly in the article for parents. We don't want them to have to read an essay in order to help their, their children practice, right? But for many children, this age of seven or eight is when they start to question things a little bit and their brain starts to work a bit differently. So anyone who is under age eight, age eight and under is the way I phrased it in the article, they are not able to organize their practice in any way. They really can't have much involvement in the organization part of it. They're the one doing the practice. But for most children age eight and under and parents reading this will know their own child, they may or may not do their schoolwork if they're not school homework, if they're not reminded by a parent. They're not going to remember what's happening on a certain day of the week if special events come up. They need help knowing when things happen, what's going on, and remembering to do things. It's really that simple. And even if they manage to remember their school homework, let's keep in mind that they just heard about that school homework today. So they had class. They got out from school at whatever time their school finishes, 2.30 for primary school kids here. 
and they got home and they probably did their homework within an hour of getting home. So they don't have to remember it for very long. Whereas piano practice, maybe they had their lesson on Monday and it's now Thursday. It's not top of mind, right? It's not that recent anymore. So parents for this age of kids really need to help a lot with the practice. I believe one of the greatest things, and if I could get all parents to do two things at home, it would be listen to music together. That would be number one. And this would be number two, which is open up the assignments that the teacher has given you. So whether that's using an app like our Vivid Practice app or a notebook or whatever way you give your students assignments. If the parent opens that with their child at home on the lesson day after the lesson and just goes through it and talks about it, like reads it together, ask them something about each one, not what do you need to do with this necessarily, but oh, this this is a new piece, isn't it? What's that like? Did you find it interesting to learn? Was there anything difficult? Just general questions. It gives a discussion starter and it means the child actually talks about what happened in the lesson and that helps them retain the information for longer. So I give that recommendation and then sitting down with their child to make a plan together. So involving them in the process of making a schedule for piano practice so that you've both agreed on what's going to happen. And if the child says, oh, I really don't want to do it after homework, you know, you work out another time together. But it means they're involved in the practice and they're learning through that, even if they're not the ones who's, who are going to maintain that schedule, they're involved in the creation of it. So they're learning those skills. They may need to do this just once a year. They may need to revisit it at some point during the year when activities change or the family schedule changes. And then, this is crucial, the parent should set reminders in their phone or in their calendar of choice or write on a wall calendar, whatever suits them, reminders for when they have said they're going to practice. The parent should do that. Even if the child has some kind of device, it should not be on their device. Because children, and you know, you see this a lot, if like a little pop-up box comes up on a screen, kids just go, yes. They just tap yes, like get rid of the box. They do not read that. And especially age eight or under, they're not reading it. There's no way. And it's not going to get them to practice. The parent needs to get those reminders, which I believe they should set them up because for most parents, they've got a lot going on, right? They need help remembering when their child is supposed to practice, set an alarm on their phone, and then that's when they tell their, their child to go practice. At the start of the practice time, again, this is for ages eight and under, I would like them to read the practice notes again together, at the very least. And then really, ideally, the parent will then sit with the child during practice. Now, that last step isn't always going to happen. It does depend on the child's personality. But I find parents who start that right from the beginning, the child likes having their mum or dad sitting beside them. It's when it comes later that it feels to the child like it's a, uh, they're not being trusted to do their practice anymore, like their parent is controlling it or whatever. But if it starts right at the beginning, they're just there to support them as they do in many other things. And most kids actually enjoy that. So I make that recommendation, but your mileage may vary on that one, <laughs> getting parents to do it if they're very busy. Okay, and then just briefly, I go through ages 9 to 12 and teenagers. So for age 9 to 12, the main difference is 
that they'll probably do their practice a bit more independently. Most 9 to 12 year olds, the parent won't sit beside them, although some will, and I still think that's great. Some like having a buddy with them for practice, and that's awesome. Many won't, but I still think it's on the parent to help the child make the practice schedule, remind them when it's time to practice, and talk to them about what they are practicing so that they're paying attention to the teacher notes and also just showing that they're engaged and enjoying learning about what their their child is doing. I also make the suggestion for that age that sometimes, every so often, the parent should ask the child to teach them something. This can be wonderful for giving a different way for the parent to be involved in the practice that actually teaches the child a huge amount as well because obviously they're learning through teaching, they're reinforcing their knowledge and it's fun for them to be in like the driver's seat and teaching their parent for once. Finally then the teenage group, the toughest customer in most cases. Teenagers are literally built to push back against their parents. That's just the reality, right? There's a reason they are embarrassed by their parents at that age and rebel against them, etc. All those stereotypes to a greater or lesser degree. It's because they're getting ready to be independent humans. That's the whole point, right? So their system is built to do that. Their bodies are trying to carve out independence for them. That doesn't mean they're ready to be independent and it doesn't mean they have good organizational skills. At the same time, around age 13 or 14, around that, teenagers are going through another stage of brain pruning. So the first one happened back at what we call the age of reason, age six, seven, eight. And this is the second round where their brain is reorganizing itself and many teenagers are less organized than they were at age 10. And a lot of parents will back me up on this. It feels like suddenly they just can't focus on anything or organize anything for themselves. Constantly losing things or forgetting about things. So that's very real. Which means that as much as they may want to do everything independently, they still need reminders and help structuring their time. Now you have to be sensitive with that. And I know as a teenager myself, I never would have liked it if my parents were telling me to practice at a certain time. But I think this is where sitting down and making a schedule together is a great step. And then not being too strict about holding them to it, but occasionally checking in. Uh, just so that there's that, that intention there and they're helping them with how they structure their time while taking their hands off the wheel a little bit. Okay, so that's the article and basically what advice I'm giving to parents. So you can feel free to pass on the link. It's on the Colourful Keys blog now, so you can go to colourfulkeys.ie slash blog. You can see the article there if you're listening to this as a podcast goes live or take a, do a little search for it. It's called How Involved Should You Be in Your Child's Music Practice? From a teacher's perspective, things can be a little bit challenging. So passing that on to new students, I think is a great idea, parents of new students. Here's just a few brief tips about other things you can do to encourage parents to be involved in their child's practice. So number one, I've said it before, I will say it a thousand more times if I need to. It's one of those things that goes round and around, but people need to hear again and again, I think, including me which is to always, always, with any new student, do some kind of meeting, interview, or meet and greet, whatever you want to call it, coffee, with new parents and the student as well, if you can manage a meeting with all three of you, before they start lessons. Not a trial lesson, not the first lesson, 
But before they start, you have a meeting where you just sit down and talk about things. And this is where you can explain very clearly, with a smile, but very clearly, what their child, what their role is in their child's practice, right? So do that. Follow up regularly, both when you see them, just asking, oh, how's, how's practice going? Um, are you finding time? Some parents like to do it before school or after school or this or that, giving suggestions, asking before it's a problem and following up regularly by email as well. So articles like this can be thrown into your email mix if you want to set up a email automation series like I have for all new parents. They go into an email sequence and that goes out. That means that these emails go out to them every week at the very beginning and then every two weeks up until a few months of them being in the studio so that they get to know things about studio calendar, practice expectations, performances, ups and downs and motivation, all that kind of stuff. So I have different emails set up. If you're a member of Vibrant Music Teaching, you can go to the course library to check out that sequence or sort of template version. It's called Essential Email Template. How about that for a catchy title? Essential Email Template is very simple and it'll show you how to set that up as an automated sequence as well if you need help with that. So that's all new students. The more challenging part I think for many of us is down the line. So the practice routine has fallen off the cliff (laughs) and you need to encourage parents to get back to it. For this, I think it's a good idea to keep in mind the fresh start effect. Okay, so pointing out when there is an opportunity for a fresh start and giving tips at that point. And again, this can be a group email, so it doesn't feel too targeted at anyone. Or it can be a newsletter you send out or a conversation you have with people. But pointing out like, oh, this is the first week of term. It's a great opportunity to restart the practice routine. Here's some tips to do that. But it doesn't have to be an obvious fresh start. You can point out that it's the start of a new month or that they've just done a performance. So now's a great time. Like you could make most things into a fresh start. You can even do them and make them a little bit goofy if you like. Like, oh, it was donut day this week. Now's an opportunity. You know, that's a bit awkward, but you get what I'm saying. You can find an opportunity for that. And this fresh start idea, I think that's from the habit book, The Power of Habit, is it called? By Charles Duhigg. So you might check that out if you want more about habits, but using those fresh starts can be helpful. So I hope that gave you some thinking points, some ideas if this is your goal for the new year. And I will say, if this is your New Year's resolution, will you just go easy on yourself? Okay. New Year's resolutions, improving practice habits in your studio, if that's yours, or any other resolution you have, they don't have to get solved in January. They're supposed to be fun little focuses for the whole year. That's how I see them. That you can come back to again and again and make use of the fresh start effect yourself. That's it for this week, folks. I'll see you back here next time. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as a fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution.